0: and welcome to the bpl podcast i'm your host jeff laser and today we have a very special guest scott woods scott thank you for joining the podcast
1: oh it's my pleasure
0: so scott woods was the creator of the 2017 award-winning art series holler 31 days of columbus black art he's the author of urban contemporary history month we over here now and prince and little weird black boy gods he has been featured multiple times in national press including multiple appearances on National Public Radio. He was the president of Poetry Slam Inc. and is the co-founder of Writer's Block Poetry Night. In April of 2006, he became the first poet to ever complete a 24-hour solo poetry reading, a feat he bested in 2007 by performing for another 24 hours, but without repeating a single poem. So Scott, I'd like to start with Streetlight Guild, a venue that you founded and opened in 2019 So can you talk about uh, why you decided to open your own venue and what goals you have for the space?
1: Sure. So I wanted to answer some key questions about my city. Um, I wanted to, well, technically, I wanted to remove the questions once and for all. Um, And questions, the questions were something like, does Columbus have culture? Like I wanted that question to disappear forever, you know, Um, empirically Um, does Columbus have you know world-class culture does Columbus have black artists does Columbus have XYZ I just wanted those questions to all go away so that we could then begin from a different place and at a different level and talk about what next steps might be or realize what next steps might be which was why I wanted to actually create a space I had been doing programming um for years prior to Streetlight Guild and even a year as Streetlight Guild before the venue opened um so i was already trying to not only answer those questions but to level up the answers right
0: yeah absolutely and and so what was your experience like so you launched that venue in 2019 and then suddenly you had to go virtual for the for the pandemic and so how have those virtual events been going and and what was that transition like
1: So it's been going well. Um, I'm not in the position that a lot of other arts organizations or venues are in where they're struggling, right? Um, The community really stepped up for Streetlight Guild and supported us with donations and all kinds of things. And so, you know, we got our bills paid. The venue is fine. We can't really do much inside of it. But we've been able to, you know, run a few audibles and do a few things. Um, We just launched um, an art show, an art exhibit uh, on October 1st. It's the second one we've put on since the uh, pandemic began. Um, But it's the first one in which we've allowed people to actually come see it. But we do that by reservation, you know, because we're a small space. And so we got to be pretty strict about who gets in and when they get in and And all of that. And then a lot of online events as well. And several partnerships, right? Um, Which is something I think the future is going to, um, is something that I think that arts organizations are going to have to do in the future. Um, At least until as long as, you know, we're all kind of cooped up.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's good to hear that, you know, at least the the bills seem to be paid and you can have a little bit of flexibility that way. Um, So that's that's really good to hear. And yeah, I feel like, you know, as artists, um, you're always having to improvise. You know, you're always being uh, having to be creative and adapt to new situations. So
1: definitely. Yeah.
0: I I wanted to, you know, speaking of that, like, um, you know, going forward, looking forward into the future, I wanna get your perspective. So, you know, since you've you've been in the, the local art scene for years now and you have your own venue and whatnot. So let's say, let's look forward to say, let's say late 2021 or even 2022. Hopefully the pandemic is mostly behind us. So, so what do you see? What does the Columbus art scene look like then?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that it's going to be fairly robust actually. Um, I think that, you know, we're gonna be pretty well past the critical point of what we're dealing with, we hope, right? Let us just assume that for this scenario, that six months from now, eight months from now, 10 months from now, so maybe even this time a year from now, uh, we're past the epidemic, right? At least the epidemic phase of the epidemic. Mm-hmm. And um, and things are more or less back to normal or some version of normal. Um, I think, the first day that people can go see things, they will. And um, people are hungry for culture and art. Um, they, I think that this entire experiment with the pandemic, so to speak, um, has really driven home uh, the need for arts and culture. Um When you can't have it, you know, you kind of figure. I I think the pandemic is really kind of exposed. And this is not just with culture and arts, but I think this is across fields and industries and disciplines. It has really exposed what we need, what we want, um, and how those things kind of fit into the puzzle of our lives. And I think that arts and culture is something that people are, are really reconsidering, right, in terms of how they've been prioritizing it. Um, so I think that, you know, the minute that we say that we can open doors or any you anybody know, can open doors, um, I think that we're going to experience this really big boom initially, maybe for the, you know, first six months, you know, this huge boom where you have great crowds and you're able to start booking things again and people are just, you know, plowing into your venues and that kind of thing. Um, and then it'll level off, right? You know, people are people. Um, but I think initially, you know, a year from now, a year and a half from now, I think that's what it'll look like.
0: I, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I, I really look forward to that day. I know I won't take casually going to a show on a Tuesday night for granted ever again, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But, yeah, I, I feel like during the, you know, the darkest days of the, the pandemic, I would have these visions of, like, a Columbus in 2022 that's, like, a few big ticket venues and 10 condados or something and I would not feel great about it but (laughs) hopefully Uh, we won't get to that point
1: yeah I mean that's certainly the kind of elephant in the room right it's like you have to survive to get to that bust right or not that that boom and um, you know I think I'm okay but you know we'll have to see how everybody else fares and I think there will definitely be some constriction, right? Um, of venues and that kind of thing. Uh, but the artists will still be there, right? Um, the arts will still be there. The question is where will they be and what will it look like? And so I think, you know, it'll be interesting. We'll. See, I think what we'll also see is some multi-purposing of spaces, uh, places that are not traditional performance venues will all of a sudden you know, open up a backstage or open up a room or have host several nights of the week for something in places where you would normally never have that at all. It'll look more like Austin, right? Where every venue, every building is like a performance venue. The bank, the restaurant, the airport, everything is a performance venue in Austin. And I think that we'll probably, if we're smart, we'll take notes from cities like that.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, that's a great point. And, uh, and you, you see that a little bit already with how venues have had to repurpose for outdoor concerts. Um, and you know, and some of those communal, just like opening your backyard to musicians and things like that, that have happened that are really encouraging to see. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, um, you know, shifting gears a bit, I wanted to talk a little bit about in 2018, I was lucky enough to catch one of the concerts for the new black East side songbook. Um, mm-hmm. and Natalie's and which, you know, featured incredible work from local black artists. You know, you had Conorfit Madison, Jordan Sandage, Pesha Thomas, so many great performers. So c- can you talk a little bit about your involvement in that project and if there are any plans to continue it in the future?
1: Absolutely. So um, that project came from it, it was originally a commission from the John Stone Fund for New Music. Um, And I had worked with them in the past and they said, well, we want to put on some kind of show. What kind of show would you like to do? And we were still kind of new in our relationship then. And so I was like, well, they've got the money. Let me see if they've got the heart. And so I tried to conceive of like the blackest thing that I could do, you know, to really kind of test their mettle. And um, and so I came up with the songbook. And at the time that I came up with it, much like now, um, you know, the police were all over the news and, um, I went to, you know, uh, a number of artists who were involved and I said, look, I'm going to put on this show. It's going to happen one night. Um, I want you guys to write all the music and everything, but I'm going to give you all the song titles. And so you can choose out of this pool of song titles and pick like two titles a piece. And that's pretty much what it was. Um, they went, off, they did their thing, and then we came back and originally debuted that at the Short North stage. Um, and then several months later, we did it at Natalie's with some additional pieces. And matter of fact, like the first first example, the first show didn't have any poetry, and at Natalie's, I did one, right? So we we manipulated the playlist a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um for Natalie's and so at that point we were like okay this is awesome this is amazing and my intent with that in part too was to create a literal Columbus based songbook i wanted us as a city to have songs that spoke to life in the city that other bands might want to play or use um and so we just kind of created in my mind some standards we literally created that culture Now we put it out into the world. Um, As far as what was going to happen to it afterwards, our intent this year was to do it as a quarterly show at Streetlight Guild um, with a smaller um, version of the band so that we could rotate out artists and bring in new artists and new work and maybe do a show every quarter. Um, We had that on the calendar until this.
0: So do you think maybe whenever we can pick that up, Again, hopefully 2021, that's, that'll be the plan to resume that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the Johnstones certainly want to do it and I want to do it. So it's really just a question of timing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I hope it, I hope it happens sooner rather than later. That was definitely, you know, one of those concerts that I'll always remember. It was super impactful and, and like what great talent on the stage there.
1: Did you have a favorite part?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, basically anything Sharon, like Catherine Madison does, uh, that that always hits hard. Um, so her, I think she did a couple yeah. uh, songs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those really hit hard. Um, and, you know, Jordan's a good friend of mine. And his song, that was about Rashawn Roland Kirk. That was really powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a trip. Like the first time that we did it, Everybody was kind of all the artists were kind of in their own pocket on the program and there wasn't really any interplay between them um, until maybe like one of Pacia Thomas's songs at the end. They all kind of jammed on that. But when we went to Natalie's, they turned into this supergroup, And so people were playing on each other's songs all the way through. I didn't plan that. And that's not anything they really spent a lot of time coordinating ahead of time either. Um, I think that might've been a sound check kind of thing. And I was like, okay, now we know all the songs, let's just kind of play this out. And so the interplay on the second show was really amazing. So you saw the best version of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I looked out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't realize that that was so spontaneous and, and I also hadn't realized that you sort of, um, created those titles too. So yeah, it's really interesting to get that insight. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, you can keep building on that that partnership with those musicians and, you know, keep growing. Yeah. So, um, you know, this being a library podcast, I feel like we got to talk about libraries a little bit. Sure. I was curious, you know, so how has working in libraries? How has that influenced both your work as a writer, but also, you know, as a community organizer?
1: Well, that's really interesting. That's a great question. So I've worked for the public library system, Columbus Metropolitan for over 20 years um, in a couple of capacities. And I guess I would have to say, well, I'll tell you, it it started out one way and I think that it may have slowly turned into something else. Initially, when I was, before I even thought of Streetlight Guild, I was kind of circling how to organize, right? How can I make more official all of this programming and this content that I create? And so I actually reached out to the director of the library, Patrick lazinski and I was like, so like, could you really break down for me, you know, what an employee handbook does as opposed to a PMP or whatever, right? And, you know, he took time and just kind of laid stuff out for me and was just like, you know, here's some things to consider if you're going to start something like a nonprofit or whatever. And I didn't do it right away at that point, but I did hold on to that information. I was like, okay, I think I kind of know how to thread this needle. Um, But then as time went on and my relationship with the library changed, you know, because at that point, you know, I would say a few years ago, um, you know, my schedule really ramped up as a writer, as a programmer, as an artist, as an organizer, you know, running a building, my schedule all of a sudden got really complex, right? And so a few years ago, I went from full-time at the library to part-time and I switched my position. I took a several level cut to get the kind of schedule that I want. And uh, so I'm there, but I'm barely there, right? And I'm in this position now where I'm kind of working my way out of work, so to speak, um, working my way toward the work that I feel I'm really meant to do, and they understand it, and I get it, and everybody's cool with that, but that's kind of the relationship right now. I would say that the library as a resource is something that I am always trying to drill into pretty much everyone, not just artists, but everyone. Um, I'm always recommending, look, you got to get this book. you got to watch this. You've got to listen to this. You've got to see this, and um, and I'm always telling them, look, you I, you don't have to buy it. The library probably has it or the library does have it. Um, and so I'm always kind of leaning into them as a resource for people who are creative. Um, yeah, that's, I guess that's the best way that I could put how that relationship works. And it's not that cursory thing that people sometimes say. It's a real uh, thing that I do, right? I'm not shining on the library, right?
0: right oh absolutely yeah yeah it's great to have you know someone like yourself that is so embedded in the art scene and also has you know the other hand in the library world so you can connect those two things yeah and um and yeah I mean it's definitely something you know we try and do at Bexley too in terms of like uh hosting art and and things like that and musicians and like and and having those programs
1: no Bexley was a real boon for me back in 2017 when I was doing Holler And, um, you know, I was, they let me come in and do one of the events there It was a panel discussion. And it was the only panel discussion we had all month uh, on that level. Um, And I was really eager to put it in Bexley, to be honest with you. Um, I had it in venues all over the city, about 10 venues. Um, But that was the only Bexley venue that I thought was conducive to what we were trying to do, but was still kind of open to all,
0: right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's you know exactly the type of stuff, especially in the past, I don't know, maybe three, four years um, we're trying to do more of. So, uh, you know, before we wrap up here, Scott, um, is there anything new you're working on, any new projects, anything you want to plug? Uh, Sure.
1: So I'm working on um, uh, a couple of books, but I have one that I hope will be out before the end of the year. It's a book of essays um, and it's a collection of essays that I've, you know, written over the last, I would say six years with a few new ones. Um, that one hopefully will be out by Christmas.
0: Cool. Does it have a title yet?
1: It, <laughs> it has a working title.
0: Nope. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: we'll see if it sticks. I, I don't want to put it out and then it changes.
0: I got you. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like playing music myself, I, I feel like titling is always the last thing I do. It's I, I hate titling things. I don't know what it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly the, at least for me anyway, with the project, like a collection of essays, it's the last thing I should be focused on, right? Um, that's it's, true. Not, it's different than a novel, right? A novel, I think you can kind of play with that a little bit. But with something that's as broad and wide-ranging as a group of essays that are not all on the same topic, you know, you kind of want to say that and see what kind of book you end up with before you go labeling it.
0: Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so anything at the uh, Streetlight Guild to to plug coming up?
1: So we just opened an art exhibit uh, featuring the work of Frank Lawson and Kent Grossweiler. That's going to be up through October. Um, and so if people want to come and actually see the work in person, we're allowing for small groups of three to do that uh, by appointment. Obviously, we are not taking any walk-ins. But um, yeah, that's happening through this month. And then after that, you know, we're probably going to slow down a little bit for the winter. We just wrapped up 30 days of poetry for September. Like, so we had a different poet online every day through September, a Columbus poet. Most of those readings are still online on Facebook in some capacity, depending on the poet. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, a lot of great stuff sounds like. So, yeah, we'll be sure to get the word out make sure people know to they can make reservations and actually see the space in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. really great talking with you.
1: No, thank you, Jeff. It's been awesome.